You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. We've got David Yoder, IMAX and Site Recording in Utah. When I think IMAX, I think exciting. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to see the people who presented before me uh, get up and more kind of talk than read their papers. I think that's great. Um, I don't like that conventional read. That being said, that's what I'm going to do because I also <laughs> know myself well enough that I will get off on tangents and I will always take more time than I'm supposed to. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. So I apologize for that. Um, way back in 2012 at the GBAC in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, I gave a paper entitled The 50-Year Rule, IMAX, Curation, and Other Invigorating Topics, Why We Have to Change. In that paper, I laid out three big issues that I saw as problems in the practice of archaeology in the Great Basin. And in the ensuing four years, I'm sorry to report that very little has changed in regards to either the 50-year rule um, or curation. But the third, IMAX and site recording, there we've made some gains, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. So quick bit of history. The recording of archaeological sites in Utah and throughout the Great Basin has taken a lot of different forms over the last hundred years. One of the first widely used standardized forms for recording sites was created in the 1950s by Jesse Jennings uh, while at the University of Utah. This one-page document entitled Site Survey Sheet Archaeological Survey was used to record thousands of sites throughout the state, uh, like many during the Glen Canyon project of what this photo is. Uh, but by the 1960s, other academic institutions and museums had started creating their own forms which were followed by government agency forms, uh, and by the 70s, by the late 70s, uh, even CRM companies were developing their own systems. There's an interesting history on how IMAX forms was cr were created and adopted uh, that we don't really have time to go into, but the short version is, uh, in the early 1980s, a bunch of federal and state agencies from Utah and the surrounding states got together with the University of Utah and adopted the Intermountain Antiquities Computer System, better known as IMAX, as a way to standardize data collection throughout the region. For the next 30 years, IMAX was at one time or another the official archaeology site recording instrument for several federal and state agencies in Utah, Idaho, Nevada, Wyoming, and California. And I think generally it's done a good job of documenting sites over uh, those decades. But as anyone who has used IMAX knows, it also has problems. And while the original creators envisioned IMAX being periodically updated, aside from the addition of the rock art attachment uh, and some minor tweaks, it has essentially remained static for about 35 years. IMAX didn't evolve with the times, and as a result, we have seen everyone discontinue its use or adopt some altered version of it, except for Utah, who is the last state to use it in its complete form. So four years ago, I started asking around to see if archaeologists in the state would be interested in changing IMAX or adopting a new site recording system. I believe then, and still do, that updating the system would make management of our cultural resources more effective and efficient. And I received a lot of interest, with most people thinking it was time for a change, and after getting so much positive feedback, I began working with others to revise or replace IMAX with the thought in my head, and I can still like, picture myself in my office with this thought four years ago. Uh, look, virtually everybody thinks IMAX needs fixing, so no big deal, we'll just do that, right? That should be easy. 
Um, I thought it was a relatively simple problem. And while I didn't think it would be super easy, I thought it was doable in a moderate time span, like maybe a year or two, uh, three, if things went wrong. Um, and I was wrong. It took a lot longer than I thought it was going to. Um, and it was a lot more difficult than I originally envisioned. But that being said, it's mostly done now. And the agencies and archaeologists who work in Utah will be adopting this new site recording system in the coming year. So today I want to answer some of the questions that I get asked most often when people see the new forms. And I hope that by doing so, you'll gain a better understanding of why we have the system we do and provide some lessons learned for anyone considering such a change in other parts of the Intermountain West. Uh, so first, a lot of people have asked various versions of a question that I'll summarize as, how did this work? By which they mean, what was the process for creating this new site recording system? And the basic process went like this. From my position as the archaeologist in the Public Lands Policy Coordination Office, or PLIPCO, I started contacting people to see if there was a desire to fix or replace IMAX. After receiving an overwhelming yes from most folks, we began discussing what a new form would look like at an interagency meeting where representatives of state and federal agencies meet every couple of months to discuss archaeological issues. Next, I held focus groups with representatives from uh, CRM firms, the private sector, and contacted representatives from academia to get their input. A new site recording form was created based on input from all those sources, and this was opened up for review and comment from the entire archaeological community. And then after adjusting the forms multiple times based on agency needs and other suggestions, we came to a final draft last month. I could go on into a lot more detail uh, of what that process was, um, but it's kind of boring. So if you're interested, talk with me afterwards, and I can fill you in some more. Another question I hear uh, that makes me smile when I hear this is, well, why did this take so long? People kind of shaking their fist at me. Why did this take so long? Uh, that's a great question. I started this process in March of 2012, the same year this was going on, which now seems so much saner, um, <laughs> <laughs> so far away. Uh, and then just last month, all the agencies officially agreed to the final form. Um, but we're still not done as systems have to be put in place. Uh, and announcements and guidance to users given. So the new site forms likely won't be officially adopted until early uh, next year in 2017. So start to finish, that'll be about five years. Why so long? Uh, well, partly for good reasons. First, we wanted to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to comment, and a long timeline provided for multiple comment periods. And then second, it gave us a chance to slowly think things over and try to get the forms right, or at least as good as we could. But the biggest reason, it, the biggest reason uh, is that we were trying to create a form that could be agreed upon by 15 different federal and state agencies, uh, each with their own missions, mandates, needs, databases, et cetera, while also trying to address the concerns of CRM archaeologists and academics. So coordinating all those interests took a lot of work and a lot of time. And then finally, government bureaucracies are just slow. They, they just are. Uh, and unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at this, uh, PLIPCO had neither a stick nor a carrot to try to get this process to go any faster. So it just was what it was. 
some of those who have seen the complete forms have asked, oh, why does a new form look similar to the old form? That's another good question. On the positive side, part of the reason the new form is somewhat similar to the old is that there is a pretty basic set of data points that need to be recorded to effectively document any archaeological site. The old system captured those points, and the new system is set up to do the same thing. So that's good. Uh, part of the reason is also because most people wanted to retain a similar visual style to IMAX. Um, over 30 years, everyone had gotten used to what the IMAX forms physically looked like. So by keeping a similar style, it helped to provide some visual consistency uh, for the recorders. Um, but I'll be honest, folks, I, I personally would have liked to see much bigger changes uh, than what was eventually decided on. I think there's an argument to be made for significant restructuring. But in the end, the format, the shape, the final result was primarily driven by government agency needs and requirements. And that makes sense in that it's the agencies who are responsible for managing the public's resources, and they're the ones who have to comply with both federal and state regulations. Uh, but bureaucracies don't do well with change, and they're prone to resistant uh, when possible. And while most of the time the agencies would come to an agreement uh, on modification, sometimes it felt uh, like they were avoiding more significant changes because it was easier just to keep doing things the way we'd always been doing them. And then other times a particular interest group was able to convince an agency that changes to their part of the form shouldn't occur. Uh, and this was the case, for example, with the rock art attachment in IMAX. The good people at the Utah Rock Art Research Association, URA, they were very vocal about not wanting to see any changes take place in the rock art um, section. And that's because they felt changes would negatively impact the resource. And so while there were disagreements among some of the agencies, eventually it was decided to transfer the rock art attachment over 100% into the, the new form. I personally think that was a mistake, but while I disagree, I'm glad that we've got groups like Urara and others who are vocal enough and care about the resource enough to press the agencies for what they think is best for uh, the resource. Ultimately, the creation of a new form was a collaborative effort that required compromises uh, as we had to have something that everyone could agree on. I also get various versions of what's up with fill in the blank, why was it changed, deleted, added, or whatever. Um, Meg talked about aspect not being important. Yay, that's what we got rid of aspect out of recording. Uh, and lots of other things that didn't seem to make any sense to have on there anymore. Um, the blank can be any number of things, little things like uh, why landowner was changed to land status. That's a small little change. Why even bother with that? Well, because one agency stressed they didn't own any of the land, instead they only managed it, and the term landowner made them uncomfortable, and they really wanted to see that changed, and no one else really cared, so it was changed. Or things can be bigger, uh, like why, in, uh, both, why do we have both site type and site characteristic entries? Um, this was because some archaeologists felt that when documenting a site, it was a job of the recorder to interpret the function or the use of the site. So site type categories um, allow this to be done in more of a standardized manner. Whereas others felt a recorder should try to be objective, just describe what's there and let the reader of the form draw their own conclusions. So the categories and site characteristics emphasize that approach. Uh, in combination, those different entries allow for both a subjective and objective uh, documentation.
or sometimes it's about adding new things. Uh, like when describing site condition, we use a category stable, deteriorating, eminently threatened, or destroyed. Uh, where did we come up with these categories? Well, those were used because uh, they're likely going to be adopted by one of the main agencies um, in the state in the future, and it made sense to start to integrate them into site recording now instead of having to change the categories in two or three years, uh, on top of which these seem to work pretty well. My point is, uh, for each and every one, for each and everything that's on the form or that is absent from the form, there's likely a good reason for it. Or if not a good reason, because sometimes not a good reason, a, at least a much debated reason for why it's either on or off the form. And then the question I hear the most often is when will we get to use the new forms? And I'm glad to announce. Uh, <laughs> By the end of this year, the new site forms and associated manual will be available and ready for adoption, and we'll be sending out emails and posting it on the website where you can download them. Uh, while the details are still being hammered out by the agencies, there'll likely be a grace period when the old IMAX forms are still um, acceptable, and then after that period is over, everyone will be switching to the new set of forms and a new way of recording sites. But like the IMAX committee before us, we hope that the new system is not static, but will be updated as needed. Uh, to help facilitate that, the site recording forms will be discussed annually at that interagency meeting um, that I mentioned earlier. So as we move forward and you begin using the new forms and the associated manu manuals, if you see anything that you are really concerned about, contact SHPO or PLIPCO and let us know. In the end, much like the IMAX before, the new site recording system isn't perfect. And now after having taken part in the creation of a system that attempts to strike a balance between so many different interest groups, I can see much more clearly why IMAX had issues and why the new site recording forms will too. Uh, in the years and decades to come, we need to be sure to adjust how we record archeological sites to reflect the changing practice of cultural resource management instead of waiting for 30 or 40 years. Uh, but for now, I'm excited to see that to take a step in the right direction and adopt a new system a little more geared to the 21st century. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.